You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today we have Marvin Liao, who's a partner at 500 Startups. Been there since 2014 of February. So 500 Startups, micro venture capital firm with a network of startup programs located in Silicon Valley. Invests in a lot of digital media, enterprise SaaS, marketplace, mobile, a lot of different things, right? I've seen Marvin's name quite a bit in the last couple of years. And I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago at SaaS Doc. And then my buddy, uh, David Henzel was like, oh, you got to talk to Marvin. I didn't even know Marvin was there. Met him and found out we're both Taiwanese people. We don't have many Asians on this podcast, so great to have Asians here. And uh, Marvin runs the SF-based accelerator program as well as investing in seed stage startups. And 500 startups, according to Crunchbase, we don't know if this is ever right, probably is worth more than this, but Crunchbase says it's worth 45 million. You can correct me on that if you feel like it. And then other than that, your bachelor's in history, which is funny because I have a minor in history as well. Welcome to the show, Marvin. How's it going? Doing very, very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So yeah, why don't you give us a little background? I mean, I gave us a kind of a bullet point, but who are you? Who's Marvin and what is your story? Yeah, so I really, really appreciate you having me. My name is Marvin. I'm actually a child of Taiwanese immigrants. I'm born in the U.S., raised in Canada, moved to San Francisco about 20 years ago. So been in the startup world for a couple of years, was executive at Yahoo for about 10 and a half years. And then sort of took some time off to sort of do some angel investing and boards, observatory boards and mentoring. And then I joined 500 as a partner about six years ago, almost six years ago to start the San Francisco office. And so I have a bit of a background of sort of operating both at the early stage startups as well as the first startup I was at. I was an early employee, ran online marketing for them. And uh, we raised about $30 million. And so kind of saw the growth of that company going from being employee number like 18 to sort of like 150 watching the dot-com bubble implode and then sort of go back down to sort of a much smaller number and I didn't survive sort of like that. And then I joined Yahoo like soon after and just watched that company go from less than 3,000 people to like about 15,000 people in 10 years after we fired. We grew to about 20,000 people after we laid off a lot of people. So it was a very interesting time. So I've been watching sort of, I'm a scaling guy. Got it. So you've been through kind of the destruction of, uh, like, here's the thing. I think a lot of people listening to this, because we've been on such a, the recovery has been the longest on record, right? I actually haven't been through a recession yet myself. Talk to us about that. I mean, it sounds like you didn't survive the cut, right? When that happened, you know, online marketing guy didn't make it. Yeah. I, I mean, 2001 was brutal, right? Like, I think a lot of people, it's interesting now, right? Like you think about the recovery happened, say 2010. So we've been on a nine year tear, right? And so the reality is that there are very few founders now and there are very few investors. You know, there are very few people in general who've actually been through the downturn. And I think when that happens, like the problem is when a bubble gets inflated, right? It's fun to be in the beginning of the bubble and you'll make money sort of along the way. And then when the bubble sort of deflates, then you just see mass carnage. And that's actually when you, you know, for better or for worse, that's sort of when you really get to see what you're made of, you know, see what your, does your business model make sense? Do the unit economics make sense? Can you stick up through the pain? You know, it's hard enough growing a business when things are good, like let alone like having to go and fire 40, 50% of your staff to sort of survive. It's brutal. And so like I saw a lot of great businesses in 2008, 2009 sort of hit the wall and just end up shutting down because like there was literally no capital at all, right? I remember in 2001, I mean, you saw mass decimation of this ecosystem. Like I joined Yahoo and I'm really, really glad I I ended up joining there. But like in 2001, there were four companies hiring, right? It was Microsoft, Yahoo, Google, and it was eBay. 
Like that mm. was it. Like there's nobody else hiring. <laughs> so I like to say that I had some foresight that I joined Yahoo. There was no foresight. That was the only place that would take me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good decision. And speaking of good decisions, I guess, you know, your job fundamentally now is basically making bets, right? Making good decisions. Yeah. So can you talk about kind of the, the business model of 500 startups? Like how do you guys make money? How do you make these investment yeah, decisions? Yeah. So 500 startups, we are an early stage venture capital fund. So we're investing in companies at the pre-seed and seed stage. And I would say we're a little bit of a heretical VC fund, which actually I think was what attracted me to this fund versus a lot of the other VC funds I was talking with was just like, it's non-traditional. So there was a big value of sort of like X operators really, really valued a lot of like sales and marketing versus if you talk to a lot of other firms, they also, a lot of them came from sort of stronger products, sort of background people. And also I think back then, like six years ago, like I think operators VC was just sort of becoming sort of on vogue, but it wasn't. I think Andreessen set a lot of that tone, right? Andreessen, they're all ex-operators and everyone at Andreessen who, who are in the partnership level, like super impressive people, like every single one of them like really accomplished it, started and run like significant companies, most of them over a billion dollars, right? So people have done this before. I, I was attracted to 500 because of just a strong sales and marketing bent that they had. And I think the thing that made us a little bit different, just like we are known for doing a lot of investments, right? So a lot of little bets, 50 to 150K checks, and that's a great way to learn. Like just frankly speaking, I've done, I think now between the accelerator and seed fund, I've done over 400 investments in the last six years, right? Mm. Which is ridiculous. And so my sample set of just like, you're able to build a pattern recognition, you have experience with just sort of a sample set of just like how you look at deals, how you look at business models, how you look at founders of having this wide sample set is incredibly helpful to fine tune your radar. Got it. And what kind of numbers can you share around the business to date? Uh, so we have invested, this is public, we have uh, 500 startups globally between the main funds and the micro funds we have in the regions. We have about half a billion dollars under management. We've invested in over 2,300 companies. You know, like it's a pretty large portfolio and about 50% of portfolios outside of the US, which I think is also very, very different than sort of the traditional v sort of Silicon Valley VC. Got it. And what do you think your hit rate is? The yeah. reality is that for every hundred investments you make, right? Like you're probably 60 of them go to zero, right? Like mm -hmm. the risk factor is very, very high. Yeah. Probably you make like a dollar from every dollar you put in, say in 20 to 25 of them. I mean, you make money in from like one out of 20, but this is sort of a, um, you know, if you, for a lot of folks who don't understand VC, VC is definitely about outliers, right? You're investing in outliers for outlier outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of my best performing companies, you know, like you're getting somewhere between 50 to hundred X. Right. And that makes up for all the losers. And it's not losers, right? But you, that makes up for all the companies that don't make any money. What do you think makes you unique as an investor and, and why they even picked you up in the first place? I had gone to know 500 probably over a year and a half period. I went and did Geeks on the Plane. So I spent a lot of time with the management team. I just became a mentor. So I was literally spending 10 to 15 hours because I wasn't work. I wasn't really working between like 20, it was like 2012, 2013. Uh -huh. So I was kind of bored and it's like, okay, what do you do? Right? Like you yeah. just want to stay, you know, keep your brain working. Yeah. And I had very specific skill set in sales and marketing and scaling and international stuff. So, uh, which was mainly most of my roles back at Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to practice this stuff. And I just started spending like about 10 to 15 hours a week at down in the 500 stars, our previous headquarters down in Mountain View and just mentoring at the accelerator because it was fun. Like it's super fun working with really, really young, smart, passionate, sort of like entrepreneurs. And also you learn a lot of stuff because like they're on the bleeding edge of business models, bleeding edge of just like even the tactics that you learn from like the basics of like customer acquisition 
they have to be innovative, right? They don't have right. money. So you're not spending money on ads, right? Like you're doing really creative like tactics and things to sort of like get customers. I had to say, looking back on it, I definitely felt like it reprogrammed my brain in many ways of like, oh, I tried to add value, but it was really sort of like the basics of sales and marketing. But for a lot of what they taught me, which is like how you get customers in like super scrappy ways and super clever ways. Granted, maybe that, that has become sort of standard now, but like back then, just sort of a lot of stuff that's standard now, there were these innovations that just really young, scrappy founders, and maybe yep. not necessarily young, but scrappy founders had to do these things just to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And so, boy, really reprogrammed a lot of my brain. What are some examples of this? Because, uh, you know, this is a, a lot of customer acquisition people love listening to this podcast. So maybe some examples of scrappy stuff that you've seen recently from a growth perspective. Yeah. So even basic things. So there's a shipping company working with like e-commerce companies and what they would do was that they would go and like buy the bare minimum sort of like level of like product that was needed. And they would write back and go, Hey, by the way, like you've heard of this like shipping company that does this. Oh, <laughs> Right. And yeah. It was just like the conversion yeah. rates for stuff like that was like substantially higher than the regular ads. And I was like, Oh, that's brilliant. Did they end up automating that down the road? Yeah, but it's just like in the beginning, it was just like, yeah, you got to pay attention to customers, like writing back and going like, hey, we're super happy with this product. And by the way, have you thought about the shipping service? That I don't know where that company ended up. I think yeah. it was a batch six company, whatever. But just, I, I remember like walking away from that meeting was like, wow, damn, that's smart. You know, I mean, you could do that from a B2B perspective too, because I was actually, um, there's a founder's retreat that I do. And one of the guys, it's funny, he's, he's from like Ukraine. So he was like, you know, you know, you get a lot of emails from people pitching you on B2B stuff like, oh, you try out my software. Yeah. What he does is he starts to string them along and then he's like, oh, but can I talk to your manager? I think we want to go for our enterprise version. And then yeah, can yeah. I talk to the manager's manager? And it gets higher and higher and higher. Yeah. It escalates. What happens when it gets escalated all the way up is he reverse pitches them. Yeah. That's clever. Has that worked well for him? Uh, yeah. No, it, it, he's actually gotten some big deals doing that. It seems kind of disingenuous, but like, hey, it works for him. You do that for a period of time, right? And then the, the good thing with B2B, you kind of get the, you know, the reference customer. Then you can sort of like do a lot of other things, right? But yeah. I think like, once you get like, if you do that for five or 10 of them, like that sets you up and then you yeah. get your reference customer, you're off to the races and that's, <laughs> you got to do whatever it takes. This is pretty funny. I, I think you're kind of contrarian because everyone I see walking behind you is wearing the Silicon Valley Patagonia vest. But you're not wearing that. Uh, that's not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think I'm a little bit of a different investor, partly because I come from some operating background. And, you know, I think in the Valley, if we're just like, I don't feel like I'm an insider. And I also think that it gives you a very different perspective, right? Like I spend 50% of my, of my time on the road. You know, even though I'm Canadian and American, I've lived for 20 years. I never felt like I was like really sort of like Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley. Yeah. I think that that's helpful to give you a different view because it's so easy to get caught up in the bubble yep. and perspective is super important, right? Like you have a very different perspective being down, down in Southern California, yep. which I think is helpful sometimes. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's get my dose of SF every quarter. So that's more than enough. Anyway, so can you speak to, uh, you've done so many investments. What are some big wins you can speak to just so people know? Yeah, sure. I was an early investor in Ease, you know, like the yeah. Uber for medicinal, mar- well, medicinal marijuana delivery. I was an early investor in that one. So obviously some of my more sort of like well-known accelerator companies have gone through the accelerated program I've run. Shippo, I mean, do you mm-hmm. know Shippo at all? Like they're an awesome company. Yep. Invested about like almost six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aircall, 
Um, yes, like Ericol. In the cloud, Rapid API. You know, like they're an API marketplace. I just recently raised a Series B. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ManyChat. Are you familiar with ManyChat? Oh wow, they're yeah. crushing it right now, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I was the first investor. I invested wow. in them back in 2016. So they went through my program back in batch 16. They're smashing. I think very, very healthy eight figures. They're doing right? very well. Yeah, they're doing very yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> I knew Mikel like for many, many years. Right, so good, good man, super smart guy. They just reached out the other day trying to do like a partnership deal with us and we're talking with them right now. But yeah, I'm really happy for how they're doing. So what are some investing trends that you're seeing happen kind of today that maybe a lot of people aren't seeing? Um, What is interesting is I think a lot of people don't really understand sort of like how technology ultimately is, is, in my view, the technology tools. It's actually about democratization, right? So you think about programming, right? Think about what Ruby on Rails is. It's a simplified version of sort of like programming. Mm-hmm. It makes it more accessible. So I use analogies sort of talking like an old guy, right? But I remember back like, you know, the e-commerce company raised like $30 million. We actually, we spent, I think like over a million dollars to pay some like agency to build us a website, right? Like <laughs> an e-commerce website. This is back in like 99. And now you fast forward, you have things like Shopify, which is you pay nothing and you have capabilities that surpass that, like, you know, yep. what we had like 20 years ago, right? Where I'm going with this is just like, think about even like website builders and e-commerce sites are just like how anybody can use them now. I think the same thing is going to happen for like programming. And so I'm a very, very big fan of like this low code or no code. Webflow. Yeah. There's tons yeah. of these tools now that just make it so easy or just the fact that these, a lot of these APIs sort of like access that you have where, you know, I think that you're going to have these companies where all you do is you manage the marketing piece and the, the customers and you manage sort of the UX and mm-hmm. everything's tied into just like everything's all built on the back of like APIs, right? Yep. You're going to see entrepreneurs just build significant businesses this way, right? And that, I think that's going to be happening in the next like five to 10 years. So mm-hmm. I think as an entrepreneur, like what an amazing time to answer your question, long-winded yep. answer. Like I'm very, very excited about the future of work. So I'm looking at a lot of the future work trends. I'm very, very excited in all these tools, these low code and no code tools. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at sort of like a lot of the new iterations. So I just invested in a company. They're not public announced yet, but like mm-hmm. it's a Slack version of, of developer ops. Like, so kind of like, you know what PagerDuty does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is kind of like the simplified version of PagerDuty on like a Slack instance and eventually will be on a lot of these other sort of like new communications instances, like really simple, easy to use. And mm-hmm. there's actually like real intelligence that gives you like, hey, you need to go and fix this. And so like simplifying and making people's jobs easier. I've seen a lot of technologies like that, which really makes me excited. So if people are looking, I guess for you, right, how do you get your deal flow? Is it from your relationships or a lot of it from the 500 network? Yeah, it's all of the above. I think, you know, a lot of the, I've invested in over 400 companies, right? And I would say out of those 400, probably only like 40 of them hate me. So like most of them usually like me and think I'm pretty good, I hope. (laughs) Um, I get a lot of referrals from my founders. I also get a lot of referrals from investor friends of mine, you know, usually upstream, downstream other angels that I've just gotten to know. I speak at a lot of conferences, so I get pinged from, you know, deal flow is not my problem. Yep. <laughs> filtering through that deal flow is my problem. So how are you filtering through it right now? That's why I work so much, right? Like just a, a big part of it is just every day is different, but there are a lot of times I'm just like getting referrals, having a lot of calls with sort of like new founders and just like anytime I get an intro from someone, let's just say like, like you're my friend. So if you yep. send me a company where it's like, Marvin, please go and talk to this founder, I will take that meeting. I will mm-hmm. jump on a call with them. And so that's why my days just sometimes they range where there are days where I'm spending a lot of time with my portfolio companies or other days where it's like 20 calls in a day where I'm just like having lots and lots of calls due to referrals. Yeah. So it just 
that's what makes this job so much fun. It's just, it's always different. I mean, when I first met you, I knew immediately this, this guy's very high energy and loves to work, right? So, you know, how is your schedule broken down? You mentioned you're on the road 50% of the time, but I'm like, God, this guy probably travels a lot, speaks a lot. You know, how does this guy motor work? I mean, I just, yeah. How does your day work? How do you stay the way you are? My typical day, whether traveling or not, you know, and this sounds like super Silicon Valley weirdo stuff, but you know, when I get up, you have a routine, right? So, you know, meditate, you know, clear your head and you have an exercise routine. Then you start checking email and stuff. I'm also a big fan of like nootropics and things. So like yeah. I take certain nootropics, like, you know, like natural stuff, right? What so do you get? Do, do Elysium basis that gives you energy. I do sort of some of like the, um, are you feeling like cordyceps? They're sort of like mushroom sort of like pills. Like they're, they're legal. They're totally legal, bottom off the shelf and stuff. And that gives you energy. I find that that's helpful for me. I have this sort of like nootropic stack of just various things I take. Curcumin pills. I take like ginseng pills, like these kind of things. Between the exercise, making sure you sleep well enough, I think mm-hmm. is really, really critical. But I think the biggest part for me is just like, you know, working at a role or sort of like doing work that you actually really enjoy and, and really feel fulfillment in that sort of should be the motivator because I think a lot of people are doing stuff just to survive. And I understand that. And it's just like, I'm in a very fortunate position where I can actually do sort of something I really, really enjoy and like and find Mm -hmm. meaningful. But I think like that's a big part of it, right? Because I'm working something that I really, I really, really, really like working founders. I learn tons all the time and I really feel the work is actually impactful. It's not a problem. Like, you know, you caught me on a good day. So like, Mm -hmm. I would say it's never always like this, Yeah. but like the reality is just like, most of the time, my good days outweigh my bad days. And so it's very easy to be motivated. Got it. So 50% of the time you're traveling, you're speaking, yeah. you're networking. Yeah. I'm assuming there's a percentage where you goes into mentoring to startups. Uh, what yeah. else are you doing with that time? I mean, honestly, like I'm probably the bad poster child of just like bad work-life balance. And so the, the reality is that I'm probably up at like six o'clock in the morning you know, you, you do your stuff, head into the office, like probably like, you know, I drop off my kid at school and then you mm-hmm. head into the office around like nine or something. And then I'm in the office pretty much till like seven or eight, come home, you know, sort of like a late dinner, hang out with my family, help my daughter with her homework, and then basically put her to bed. And then I do a little bit more work mm-hmm. and then I go to bed and try to get at least like eight hours. Yeah. Those are my days and yep. weekends, like Saturday, Sunday is all family time. But in yep. the evenings I do work. How Asian of you. Yeah, that's kind of like just kind of what, what you I do, do right? too. Yep. <laughs> that's what yep. you do. Yeah. I mean, you've invested in 400 companies. What do you think your return has been? I'm sure you've measured it. Yeah. I mean, the, the gross IR so far is probably about like 31% so far. So Great. Like, it's, yeah. So it's not bad. We'll see. But yeah. it's unrealized, right? So I think yeah. that's one of those things. Okay. Number one, the indicators seem like I'm doing a good job. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I'm also very, never mistake a bull market for genius either. Yeah. So like these are unrealized gains. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I try to keep a more longer term view where I'm like, the indicators seem like I'm doing a good job, but who knows how things are going to be when things turn around, like when we hit some downturn, whenever that will be, right? Of the 400, how many were realized? Um, We've had some exits. And so I would say probably out of that, say out of say 400 plus companies, you know, I'm going to say probably 20 to 30 of them have been sold for like some decent. Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it's still early, dude. I'm, I've only been doing this for six years. You really do not know until probably like year eight or nine. So it's just early in the game. And I'm, this is a long-term greedy business, right? So keep on trying to do what I'm doing and hope the numbers work out. (laughs) What would be your favorite business book? Oh boy, dude, there's so many great business books out there, right? Good to Great is pretty awesome. This is an old one, but Richard Cook's like 80-20 principle. I think it's like an amazing book. 
boy, there are just so many amazing books out there. Like, I still think Lean Startup is a great book. I think not enough people actually, like, people talk like they read it, but they've never read it. Like, I mm-hmm. see that in the startup world. I'm just like, have you, like, never heard of, like, Lean Startup? The only thing they've gotten out of it is Pivot. And they use Pivot when, it's like, times get hard. It's yeah. like, no, 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 that's not... You pivot when like the data points to something not working, right? Yep. Or yep. the data points to sort of some other better model or better customer segment. Like people have not read the book. They don't practice it. Oh, in LA, it's terrible. People are just like throwing these words around. Once they hear it, it's like, oh yeah, just, we just pivoted last week. Anyway, on the flip side of that, we talked about business books. How do you get better as an investor? What are some favorite investing resources? I mean, the, the way you get better as an investor, you just got to do more deals. You just got to do deals and learn from them. But I would say, say the other thing is have great mentors. I was very, very lucky to have sort of great mentors. I'm in Silicon Valley. I have a couple of really, really good friends who are probably two of the guys I'm probably closest with are like in the top like 20 of the Midas, the Forbes Midas list of VCs. So I was just very lucky to be able to bounce ideas off them, right? In regards to like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. How you should, you know, like just they shared, they were very, very gracious about sharing their extensive experience with me. I read a lot. I just also had to develop a lot of my own sort of views. I'm a big fan of Peter Thiel, like yep. not his politics, but really his sort of investing thinking. And so I've also been very, very fortunate to sort of spend time with a lot of his acolytes. And, you know, Zero to One is a great book as well, too. But just like how to think very differently, have your own thesis of the, of the world. So I read a lot of science fiction. When I became a VC, I pretty much read every single science fiction book I could get my hands on, because it's actually a great way to sort of help you think about where the world is going as a VC, right? And then develop your own sort of like view of the future. I think as a VC, you have to understand where the macro is. So understand the bigger trends. It's not just technology, there's demographic trends, there's really sort of even the move, you know, like, you know, we're, we're moving from a world where the baby boomers all going to be retiring. We're seeing a lot of the millennial generation come in. The attitudes and the mentality is very, very different. I think you're seeing a move of sort of like the wealth and power more from like the West toward the East. All these things are all coming together. You got to understand that, but you have to understand how technology is changing a lot of this stuff too. And so science fiction is a great way to sort of like think about that right? And in a story form that's enjoyable too. It's nothing worse than reading business books because most business books are not well written. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about reading fiction and reading science fiction. It just easy to absorb these lessons. Yeah. Well, throw the recommendation there. There's one book that it's dark and I recommend this book to a lot of folks, but just like, don't read it when you're depressed, but it's a book (laughs) called Wind Up Girl by like um, Paolo Bagliupi. I think he's one of the most like underrated science fiction writers these days. His book is gloomy, but really nails it in the future of like biotech and clean tech and, and just like robotics and things. Like he's very environmentally driven, but his stories tend to be dark. There's a very strong human element in it of just explaining how resilient humans are and how resilient human civilization is in, in light of a lot of calamities, but really, really eye-opening. And you can tell he's done his research. Love it. Okay. We'll drop that in the show notes. Favorite tool. So it could be a business tool or a personal tool. So it could be like a Peloton bike or it could be like an app. Evernote. I still think Evernote, like old school, but like Evernote's like still one of the best tools around, right? You and I are learners, right? Our learning machines. You just take a lot of notes on stuff. And so yep. that is incredibly helpful. And, and of course the iPhone, right? Although I'm thinking about joining Google Fi and getting a Pixel as well too, because I travel so much. So yeah. but anyways, that, that's sort of where I'm going. Interesting. Yeah. I still have ever, I still pay for it, but I, I just added notion and notion's been a huge, it's totally changed my flow and I, I love it. So, um, I, I, you know, you're the 
fifth person who's actually mentioned Notion in the last week and a half. Yeah. It's crazy because you could do everything inside of it and it's yeah. just my go-to now. And I feel like I'm actually more productive. So really, yeah, no, check it out. I, and I'll that still pay the $60 a year for Evernote or whatever. A final question for you, which company or founder are you following right now? I'm following the guy from Superhuman. Raul? Um, yeah, Raul. Very interesting guy. And I just recently uh, read that he's actually, I, I just think like what he's done with Superhuman is like fascinating, right? Yeah. Like how he built that. Like, it's just fascinating to me. And then also just like the fact that you're starting to see this idea of sort of like the portfolio entrepreneur. I've with that term. No. So like, like which mean? is a very non-Silicon Valley thing, but it's starting to become more on Vogue. So you're starting to see like guys like Ryan Hoover kind of set the tone for this, right? You know, one of the co-founders of Product Hunt. And then he decided to start like the weekend fund based on his job. Like it's like a $5 million fund, his first fund. And because he's meeting all these interesting consumer startups, like, hey, I should just put in some money into that. And so he has that. You're starting to see these like entrepreneurs now who kind of have like their day job, but they're doing these other sort of like side projects and things. So that's why Rahul was interesting where I just heard that he's now sort of like looking to sort of do like a side, kind of very similar fund, like a $5 million, $10 million side VC fund. Cause he's running to a lot of like other entrepreneurs who's asking for help. Yeah. And he has this network now where he's like, Hey, why don't I just like back some of these people? And so it's just interesting where he's running the company, he's raised a bunch of VC money, but yet he's looking to do this other side fund as well too. And the idea of side hustles now has just become much more prevalent. I know VCs don't like it, but I think it's such an interesting sort of like development where who knows where things will go when the economy turns around. Yeah. But I do think like these side hustles and these side projects as portfolio entrepreneur mindset, I think it's really important because you get to sort of stretch your brain, you use aspects of, you're not just all into the one business alone. You're diversified a little bit yeah. more. I also think it makes you a much more interesting human being. I think so too. So I think it's wonderful this stuff is yeah. happening. So I'm fascinated by this. But I remember even when that, that news came out, like a lot of people are like, oh, this is really bad. We should be focusing on the business. And I'm like, I don't know. I think you can do kind of more than one thing. So I do think it's interesting. I do think that's a precursor to a very interesting trend that I'm seeing here. Yeah. The wheels are really spinning in my head now because that's, I didn't know there's a term for it, but that's basically what I am because between the ad agency that I took over and then between the software, between the podcast, between like this and that, and just all this stuff, basically that's what it is, right? It's making sure that when the next recession hits, you don't just blow up in one area. And by the way, I actually think it's relevant for like everybody out there, right? Like if you're a corporate exec or even a corporate person, you should be doing other stuff. Like have a software business on the side, have a drop shipping business. I don't care. Do some side consulting that's not competitive with your, you know, do some advising work, do some angel investing, whatever it is. You should have a broad swath of different industries. Have rental property. I do think that's a very valid thing. Like I have rental property and I have my other sort of like side projects and things. And I just make sure that doesn't get in the way of my day job. Right. Like my day right. job is like job one, but you got to have these other things because number one, it's way more interesting yep. and it makes you way more financially robust. I agree. Okay. I love that. The portfolio entrepreneur. I think we should yeah. do like a blog post on that. All right. We should Marvin, totally do that. What's the best way for people to find you online? This has been great. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. So Twitter is probably the best way or LinkedIn. And yeah, I'm very easy to be found. All right, Marvin, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.